As you've heard on this podcast, getting a proper Lyme diagnosis early is so key. And for those people who are still sick, it's really important that they're able to find out what other infections their body might be fighting. It's time looking at Lyme went truly international. We are headed to the land of the midnight sun to talk to an expert who spends a lot of time looking into a microscope. We'll speak with a microbiologist who is on the cutting edge of finding ways to ensure tick-borne diseases are accurately diagnosed. I was fortunate to meet Leona Gilbert last year at the ILADS conference in Boston. I was so inspired to hear about her work. Leona is originally from Thunder Bay, another amazing Canadian scientist, and we spoke to her from Yavascula, Finland. Thank you so much for taking our call all the way from Finland today. My pleasure. How did you become involved in research in tick-borne diseases? Um, actually, it was because a gentleman got bit by a tick when he was, I think, six years old. And this is like way back in the 1950s. And they didn't actually diagnose him um, because they couldn't back then. <laughs> so he developed arthritis and, and his father uh, started a foundation, the Swartz Foundation. And when, when I was doing a postdoc at Penn State University, um, I did a presentation on diagnostic kits not actually picking up Streptococcus pyogenes. And uh, this gentleman that got bitten by a tick and had arthritis, he actually got excited about our research and said, hey, can you do some research in tick-borne diseases? And I said, of course I can, please. Yes. So, so that's the reason, because he convinced me that this area needed more research. This area needed, you know, research that's are directed in and a direct feedback to benefiting the patients and benefiting the research around this whole area so that we could you know, come together internationally and move the science to help patients. So that's why I got into this area. Now, I know your work involves a lot of microscopes, and so we're going to transfer what you see under a microscope to, uh, to our listeners on the podcast. So... However you can do it, can you explain to us what, what TICPLEX is and how that works? Oh, yeah. So TICPLEX is a diagnostic kit that uses blood, okay, and we get rid of your blood cells. So what's left is Sarah. So we use Sarah from the patient, and we actually can tell if you have an immune response against different microbes. And some of the microbes that we have, of course, are Borrelia bedorferi, Absolutely, Borrelia absolutely, Borrelia garini. So we have the North American and we have the two uh, European strains there. We also have their persister form there as well, so the round body form. And we have basically 10 other microbes that are associated, statistically speaking, with these patients that have long-term consequences of Lyme disease. So as an example, microplasma uh, pneumonia is there, chlamydia pneumonia is there, Epstein-Barr virus is there, Kosaki virus is there, because we did a large study and we saw that, statistically speaking, these individuals that have long-term consequence of Lyme disease also suffer from multiple microbes. So TICPLEX is a test kit that will actually test you for six different forms of Borrelia and 10 other forms of uh, different microbes. And we test two different antibodies, so we can tell you three different disease stages, all on one test. 
So you don't need 30 different tests. You need just one tick flex. That's the point. That sounds like a big breakthrough. Well, it's a very controversial breakthrough. And it's a big breakthrough because obviously right now, if you're going to be tested um, for multiple microbes, even if your clinician is even thinking that, it's going to cost a lot of money because you need uh, many, many different tests for for many different microbes. So, because right now the, the, how do I say, the practice of medicine is basically testing one microbe with one antibody at a time. And that right there is ridiculous. We think, uh, and, and research shows that these, these patients are suffering from multiple microbes. So why not put multiple microbes down on a t- diagnostic platform, test both antibodies, IgG and IgM, and, and you can get a very holistic view of what's going on with the patient. So you can really personalize treatment protocols for that individual patient. And, and I think that's where we need to, as a, you know, as a field of medicine, move to that direction and believing that these patients are suffering from multiple microbes. You yep. must be seeing some interesting patterns starting to emerge. We are. We are. We're seeing a lot of individuals that, you know, long-term sufferers, okay, or people that have been sick for a very long time, like even like five to to ten years, that they actually can't even build up an immune response to actually resolve these microbes. And, and then once they start getting, you know, um, treatment to boost up their immune system, then we start seeing, you know, these antibodies, you know, raised against these, these microbes. And then the clinicians are able to actually treat these individual microbes. So that's a pattern we're seeing. We're also seeing a pattern that it is true. If you can catch the individual from being infected with Borrelia early on, early on, and you test for multiple microbes as, as well, and you treat for those, then there's, there's a good chance that this patient won't suffer long-term. So we're seeing those kind of patterns as well. And of course, we're seeing seeing very unique um, individuals that are shining up all the time. And we call them universal positive uh, 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 Sarah. Sarah. Yeah, universal positive Sarahs. And what this means is that they're hyperactive. Their immune system is so hyperactive against anything, any diagnostic kit. It's not just TICPLEX, but any serological diagnostic kit, they're shining up. And these are the individuals that are actually having a lot of immune complexes in their in their um, in their blood, and that's why we're getting they're shining up on this diagnostic test. And it's only now that we have this multiplex system that we can actually see these universal positive patients, and we can really direct and indicate you know the treatment protocols for these individuals by knowing this and knowing the the reason why they're shining up so bright. Because it's very easy for clinicians or very easy for scientists to say, well, that's a false positive. That's a false positive, but actually. You know, thresholds of the diagnostic kits are there with a large amount of healthy controls, okay? And if this still we bring up the threshold and try to, you know, eliminate these false positives, and we still get these universal positive patients, and not a lot, it's less than 3% of the patients right now that we have seen that actually are shining up. But these are long-term sufferers as well. So th- there's there's a correlation to that, and and that's the point to... Because of our test, because it's multiplex, we're seeing this unique characteristic. You mentioned that it's controversial, and I'm wondering if you can give me the very short version as to why that would be. Yes, because the practice of medicine right now is testing one microbe, one antibody at a time. And if you do something different than that, that you're scrutinized. And we are. 
being scrutinized. So this and is more along the lines of polymicrobial theory. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Yes. And we are not the only ones that believe in this polymicrobial, you know, theory, like, you know, heart disease as well as, you know, dental disease. There's tons of diseases that interplay with multiple microbes. But we are the ones that are saying, okay, let's get a diagnostic kit and let's, you know, test for it, multiple, like with this multiple microbe concept. So it's nothing new, but just it's still difficult because the paradigm in medicine is really testing one microbe, one antibody at a time, and we need to change that. And and slowly but surely hitting, you know, our heads against the wall, we are going to do this, despite that it's, you know, controversial or we're being scrutinized. So, Well, it sounds like you've got a window into the future there, and uh, it sounds like you're ahead of the game. Well, we're trying to be, we're trying to let the science drive us, drive us to, you know, some solutions so, so that we can help the patients. And, and that's the point. We need to let the science drive us and let, let the needs of the patient also influence where we're going with the science as well. So that's why we work really closely with patient groups. We work closely with advocacy groups. We work closely, of course, with scientific groups as well. And, you know, like Lyme borreliosis, you know, national organizations in different countries as well. So so we need to hear back. We need to get feedback that, that we could use for implementing these novel ideas and, and, and test them robustly and, and, and let that drive the success of, you know, these patients being, you know, getting better personalized treatment protocols. That is such great news. I'm curious, uh, is your research mostly focused in Europe or is it global? Well, it's, it's <laughs> because of coronavirus <laughs> pandemic here. Actually, it is it is global. We have this um, international project that we wanted to start actually last December, and we have started in Australia, in New Zealand, and in other European countries. But the point is, is and Canada obviously in in United States and Mexico are the are three uh, interested countries that I want them to participate in this study. What we want to do is we want to get a large scale testing and see kind of if we're having these same kind of characteristics, like, you know, these universal positives, you know, these, these uh, individuals that have low, low immune systems, like, are we seeing that nationally and globally? Like, where are we seeing this? So we have those kind of characteristics we're, we're researching globally. But unfortunately, you know, we, we have to just delay some of this research because of the coronavirus, because we can't travel and, and so forth. So, so I was supposed to be in Canada in April doing this, starting this project there. But unfortunately, yeah, coronavirus hit us. So we're staying home right now in Finland. So uh, what is the difference between co-infections and opportunistic infections? Yeah, this is a very good question. Co-infections are those, those microbes that come with a tick bite. And opportunistic infections are those infections that that an individual may succumb to because they have a weakened immune system or or their immune system is not is not at its optimal level. Just like think of it this way that if you go into the hospital for surgery, you're more prone to, you know, hospital infections. Those are those opportunist infections. Same thing with with these Lyme disease patients and patients that have been sick for a very long time, their immune system may be may be lowered or they don't have, uh, you know, 100% working immune system. So they're prone to these opportunist infections. And what can you tell us about Borrelia persistent forms? Yeah, so I just gave a, a webinar at the Chronic Pathologies, uh, was it two weeks ago? Yeah, it, it was virtual, obviously. 
But the Borrelia persistent forms, more and more research is coming out to indicate actually they are they are existing, okay? And despite antibiotic treatment or pressure in an individual, in an in vitro system, like in a lab tube, and also in a lot of animal studies like mice, gerbils, monkeys, okay, non-human primates, and as well as in humans, after antibiotics, there is still an existence of, of these persistent forms. There are, there are a few, few theories of, that allows the, the persistence of Borrelia to exist, and some of the theories are that, play, uh, that the biofilm may be a form that allows persistent forms to exist, uh, despite antibiotic treatments, because biofilms are usually more uh, not not more susceptible to antibiotic um, um, pressure, and round bodies as well, they are traditionally formed because of the antibiotic pressure, so they're, they're kind of resistant to the antibiotic pressure, and also these persistent forms could actually survive in privileged sites like synovial sites. Okay, the central spinal fluid as well. Um, and so those are kind of the theories of, of how persistors are, 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 are lasting for a very long time. There's great studies coming out of Tulane, University of Tulane in New Orleans by, by uh, Monica Ember's research group. She does research on non-human primates. And it's really great that they treat these monkeys that have been infected with Borrelia with antibiotics. They put back <laughs> the tick on it the tick picks up the Borrelia, passes it on to the mouse, okay, and sees the Borrelia in the mouse. So this is really showing through many different techniques that Borrelia, despite having antibiotic treatment, can persist and can actually reinfect different different animals. And in these persister forms, yeah, so the theory is that they're difficult to get rid of. Um, but of course, going from an in vitro lab tube testing uh, to actually human testing with different combination of antibiotics and also other chemicals, like right now, um, I think if I'm correcting, if I'm rem remembering correctly, I think it was the Dapson is being used in a combination of antibiotics to get rid of actually uh, uh, persister forms of Borrelia. And they've had uh, some success with this in vitro system. Now they need to move that to a human system and then, of course, show it in the human that, that this combination of these drugs are actually working. So, so it's a great area of research. Some exciting things are coming out. And, and yeah, I just can't wait to you know, do more studies on these persister forms as well to see if we could actually diagnose for them. Well, in TickFlex, we have the round-bodied persister form in our test kit, but it also would be interesting if we could use biofilms as a marker marker uh, for persister forms as well. But let's see if, if that will work. Yeah. Are people able to order the TickFlex kit in Canada? Well, they can order it from our customers here in Europe. And, and unfortunately, that's the only pathway at the moment. Uh, I have to say another reason why I was supposed to go to Canada is to set up the lab there so that we could have TickFlex there. And we would have had it there, but unfortunately, coronavirus hit us. So, so the Canadians ordering a Canadian TickFlex test has to wait just a little bit longer, probably next spring, hopefully, if I can get there. Um, but if you, any Canadian wants this test kit, 
they could go through our our customers. You go onto our website and you can find out our customers and you can order the TickPlex TickPlex directly to our customers. And what is needed is basically just a blood draw. And all the instructions on how to get a blood draw and how to ship it to our customers on this side of the of the world is given by our customers. Just like Armin's Lab, if you decide to go to and buy TickPlex from Armin's Lab, you can just go directly order the TickPlex from online from Armin's Lab, and they'll give you the instructions and a blood draw kit itself, so that you can get your blood drawn and you can ship it to Armin's Lab. That's one example. Oh, that's so great to know. Thank you for that information. Uh, in our episode notes, I wanted to just post a link as I was staying up late last night doing research for our interview. I came across one of your um, articles that you published around pleomorphic forms. And so obviously, it's a whole different language than what I understand. But I found the images really interesting. So I'm just wondering, you know, Speaking to just sort of the lay person here, what kind of images are people looking at in there, you know, under the microscope? Because obviously not many of us really get the opportunity to look at any of this stuff under the microscope. Sure. Yeah, no, I can appreciate that. Well, think of that the Borrelia in its native form or parent form is like a, a spiral, like a corkscrew, corkscrew, a spiral. And when you add pressure like temperature or pH or antibiotics, that corkscrew like structure actually coils up into a round ball, like a beach ball. Okay. And that is the round body. Now you put the parent form, like let's say maybe 10 parent forms and 10 round bodies together in a big clump, that would be a biofilm. And, and these are the, the three most dominant forms of pleomorphic forms of Borrelia. So the different forms that, that Borrelia can take. And again, uh, clinically speaking, we can see through, like through biopsies, different forms of Borrelia do exist. But unfortunately, um, we need to now connect more and more of this research with clinical uh, consequence of these pleomorphic forms. So, so I know there's great work with Alan McDonald, he's and and Judith McClovich that have actual brain biopsies that shows different pleomorphic forms like the biofilm and, and round body uh, from brain autopsy uh, uh, samples. And, and, but yet that's not directly linked to, you know, the death or, or consequence of Lyme disease. So we have to do some more research to connect clinically speaking in affirmatively that the pleomorphic form caused, caused these manifestations in the patients and that there needs more research. So we have, a ways to go, but at least we, there are great people, you know, doing it, looking at these beach balls and these corkscrew-like structures and these big masses of biofilm under the microscope. So, so I'm sure we will hit some really great milestones in the next coming years. That's amazing. I will post that link in our episode notes. So thanks for walking us through what we're looking at in those slides. And uh, we really look forward to welcoming you back to Canada when you do come back. You're a very inspiring Canadian scientist, and I know you originate from Thunder Bay because we had a good chat about that at the conference last year. So shout out to Thunder Bay, and we look forward to welcoming you back to Canada whenever that happens. <laughs> we will be soon.
you, Leona, for that call via Skype all the way from Finland. I find it fascinating how Leona is looking at multiple infections that are infecting people with Lyme disease. That Tickplex test is groundbreaking, and it will really support doctors in diagnosing their patients accurately. And that's another podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe in the outdoors. <laughs>